This is Checking In, a podcast from Self Magazine. I'm Carolyn Kilstra, the Editor-in-Chief of Self, here to help you work through life's big and small questions about health and wellness. Today, we're hearing from a listener who was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, known as MS, right before the pandemic hit early last year. So in a lot of ways, it's still pretty new for me. And there's people in my life, obviously my husband, my family, my close friends who know, my close work team, they know. But in a lot of ways, I've wanted to keep it more close to the vest. What I'm realizing is a lot of people don't really understand MS. I'm worried that you know people might associate negative connotations with what I can do with my work because it's you know, just to let that information out without without any sort of context, I think could potentially be damaging long-term for my career. So some context here. There are nearly a million people living with MS in the United States. MS is what's called an immune-mediated disease, which means that the body's immune system has an abnormal response, which is directed against the body's central nervous system. So your immune system is attacking your own central nervous system. And being diagnosed with MS is life-changing and can be really, really scary. There are some medications and therapeutic methods which can slow it down and help control symptoms, but there isn't a cure. A lot of people manage to keep symptoms and attacks at bay for a long time, but it can worsen and become more debilitating over time too. And so you know, an MS attack, also referred to as a relapse, can include things like visual disturbances, muscle weakness, trouble with coordination and balance, sensations such as numbness or or, a prickling that feels like pins and needles, and even thinking and memory problems. And some people with MS reach a state where these problems just don't ever go away. Our listener, Sophie, is dealing with so many aspects of living with MS. There's the physical symptoms, processing a new diagnosis, navigating shifts in her mental health, which are to be expected. It's a lot to do all at once. And communicating her needs through all of this, and especially in her relationships with others, that can be really, really hard. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The social stuff. You know, when to disclose. How to ask for help from your friends and your family and the people you work with. Sophie says that she has a great, close-knit team at work, but some coworkers have made assumptions about what she can and can't do because of her MS. And that makes her really worried about being open. Sophie's situation in some ways is obviously specific to the particularities of MS. But in other ways, she's asking, what does it mean to share something vulnerable about yourself in these different contexts? And what is fair to expect from people? So we wanted to talk to somebody who knows both sides of this intimately to help Sophie navigate these questions about her new diagnosis. Questions like, is it okay if I don't tell everyone I work with? Or how do I decide who to even tell in the first place? I think the first thing is giving yourself the space to decide what feels good today and and the permission to change your mind tomorrow. Because it's about honoring what's actually happening for you live. There isn't a rule book And we're kind of writing it as we go, but even then, it can change. Lauren Selfridge is a psychotherapist based in San Francisco who mostly works with couples and people who want support with their chronic illnesses. 
she was diagnosed with MS several years ago. And living with MS has become a big part of her work. She says having MS brought her a lot closer to what's really important in her life. And she works to help other people discover this for themselves as a creative vision consultant and host of a podcast called This Is Not What I Ordered. Before Lauren got her MS diagnosis, she says she was secretly taking two naps a day under her desk at her job as a college administrator. She was dealing with fatigue that she didn't know yet was actually a symptom of her MS. She was also at the same time working at a community counseling center where her coworkers were supportive. And throughout the diagnosis process, they knew along the way the intimate details about her illness and what was going on with her. These were two vastly different work environments, and they were both a little tricky to navigate in their own ways. But it wasn't actually Lauren's first time having to decide whether or not she should tell people something personal about herself. I came out as bisexual earlier in my life, so I felt like I had a practice run for revealing new information to people. And I was disappointed back then at some moments and how people either didn't engage with me about it or engaged in a way that didn't feel right for me. And similarly, I started to realize I really do have preferences around how to talk about what's going on with my body, with MS. And so what I've discovered in both situations is that just like it's new information for me, it's also new information for the people in my life. And processing that new information looks very different for different types of people in your life. We're going to dig into the personal relationships aspect of this in a little bit, but now focusing on work first. What are other people living with MS doing? You know, I've known people who are everywhere on the spectrum from telling nobody at work to building a career based on, like me, living with chronic illness. So everybody has their spot. And at first, I used to think I knew best. I used to say, well, you should just tell everyone because there's nothing to be ashamed of and we can normalize it and it's great. And you're actually, you know, you're bringing new skills with you because you're learning how to deal with chronic illness. I believe that, but I also know that people know their work environments best and they know their relationships best. So she used to think that everyone should disclose, but she recognizes that this isn't always possible or, or safe for everyone to do. But if for you, it is possible, and you're trying to decide whether you want to or if you should, she says there are definitely some benefits to doing so. One important reason to disclose is to make sure that you get whatever accommodations you might be entitled to by law, thanks to the Americans with Disabilities Act. That just means that the right people at work need to know so that they can help adjust your work environment to suit your needs. So what I realized was that I needed to ask to shift my hours. I knew when my energy was good. Sometimes I needed to work from home. I could do my best work when I wasn't having to sit at a desk eight hours. That's the kind of thing that's best to take up with an HR department, if you have one, or your supervisor. A second good reason for disclosing at work is relationship building. I think of revealing any kind of personal stuff like this as part of communicating in relationship, and it can actually bring people together. So I've found more often than not, it's strengthened my connections with people. But at the same time, some people choose not to reveal to colleagues for that reason, and that's okay too. In Lauren's case, she actually wanted to share. She wanted to be open with people and have meaningful conversations with her coworkers about how she was really doing. I had a bunch of coworkers who meant well, and they would like pop their head in my office and say, how you doing? And they look for the um, kind of headline answer. And what I wanted to give them was the in-depth interview answer. 
And so because it was so quick, I realized I actually only wanted to share that personal information in a lengthier format. So I said, ask me how I'm doing if you have five minutes to hear the answer. And it really changed how I related to those people at work. Lauren ended up feeling really supported by her coworkers. I still remember my, my first hug after my diagnosis from a friend at the counseling center who just, she didn't even have words. She just wanted to hug me. And it was the first time I could cry. At work, you might be prepared to deal with people who don't get it or don't really know you or how to support you. But what about when people that don't totally get it are your close friends and family, the people who are supposed to know you, who you want to know you, and who you rely on for support? After a quick break, we'll talk to Lauren about navigating relationships with your loved ones after a diagnosis. Welcome back to Checking In. Today's caller, Sophie, says it's been difficult to know how to talk to her friends about her recent diagnosis of MS. Releasing the information to friends has been a learning experience for me, and I think it's probably starting to be like a learning experience for them too, because I almost feel like people sometimes feel uncomfortable or they they don't know what to ask or they feel like they're going to ask the wrong thing. And I have close friends, they're fantastic, they're wonderful, but it's, for a while there, it was kind of like people knew, but it was never brought up when we were together. And I think it was, you know, because they were trying to be careful and not do the wrong thing. But for me, it was kind of like, hey, like I had this really huge thing happen and to not, you know, address it ever kind of makes me feel as if I'm not being seen, if that makes sense. I asked Lauren what kind of advice she would give as a therapist to Sophie or to anyone struggling to be seen in their relationships. What a gift that Sophie has this self-awareness already so early about the fact that she's needing something different because we don't always know that. And it can show up as disappointment, it can feel like sadness, it can feel like anger and frustration. But the fact that she's starting to pick up on, oh, I need something different, that's great. Over time, Lauren came up with a strategy for pushing through that initial awkwardness with friends and family who seemed uneasy talking about her MS with her. One of my favorite things is pulling back the curtain and showing people backstage and saying, hey, I wonder if you might feel awkward asking me about my MS. And just putting it out there and saying, I just want you to know how I'm feeling. And maybe it's, I feel awkward too, or I feel awkward thinking that you're awkward. And I just wanted to tell you that because what that often does is it diffuses it, I think brings people together and says, oh my gosh, we're all feeling awkward together. And that's the point of connection is when we share that. What's going on here? It feels like it can be a burden though, to be the one that has the chronic illness and also to be responsible for managing other people's feelings about your chronic illness. I think we all need to feel like our loved ones can show up for us and our loved ones want to know how they can show up for us, but they're not going to know. They probably haven't read the manual. We haven't read the manual. We're figuring it out as we go. So just the same way we need to give ourselves grace in that period of building an identity, we can also extend that grace to the people around us. That can be so hard though, right? Because it requires kind of 
recognizing what your own boundaries are and being able to or having the energy to to communicate those boundaries and and potentially enforce them that can be a lot of energy and that can be very tough for anyone but i imagine that having a chronic illness and contending with a chronic illness adds an extra layer to that it really does and i love that you're talking about energy too because anything that takes emotional energy also has an impact on the body And when we're already dealing with a health challenge that's impacting our bodies and sometimes our cognition or stamina, dealing with the emotional part of relationships can be hard. You know, like all the things I was doing to maybe people please or to make make life easy for somebody else and maybe extending too much of myself, I had to rein it in and say, I need to just focus on these few relationships that I'm cultivating right now And I have some friends to this day who know there are certain texts that I'll send them when I'm not feeling well. And it's our code for I love you. And right now I'm just like laid out. And it took a whole few years to even get to the place of, oh yeah, we know what what we're talking about here. It's one of those days. It's not personal. Lauren said that MS has become something like a bouncer for her heart. And that it's okay to let go of some friendships that maybe don't feel right as you change. I won't lie. There are some friendships that may dwindle, and that's okay, because there are relationships that will either strengthen or new relationships that can be born out of relating to each other on a deeper level. Lauren has become deeply embedded in an online community of people with chronic illnesses, and she highly recommends making friends in that community which is something that she didn't do initially. Over time, what I've realized is having people in your life who get from the inside what it's like to live with health challenges is such a relief because there's a lot that doesn't need to be explained. But for friends who don't have that shared experience, it can be harder. So I would say to maybe kind of create a different frame around what it means to talk about illness because more than sharing the illness with someone or revealing, hey, I have this MS, what I've noticed is I'm actually revealing my relationship with my MS to them and sharing like, here's what I hope this brings into my life. Here's what I'm afraid might happen. And it's all, it's actually about me and my feelings. It's not about the disease. The CDC says that one in four adults live with some kind of disability. So it's safe to say that a lot of people can probably relate to being Lauren or Sophie in these types of scenarios. But for those who don't have chronic illness or a disability, you may be wondering, how can I be a better friend to someone who's experiencing this? So we asked Lauren, what are some common missteps or things that people get wrong all the time about living with chronic illness? I think one of the big things that we all tend to get wrong, in my opinion, if I may be so bold, is that we associate the illness with the individual as though it's a personal thing. And what I mean is nobody chose their illness or their diagnosis or their whatever it is that they're living with. And yet somehow we tend to associate it with the individual like it's theirs. And we even use phrases like, I have this thing. It's my MS. Like I'll even say that. This is my MS. And the truth is, like, especially when I work with couples, there's this dynamic that starts to show up where we treat someone like they're choosing their symptoms. And it's like, no way. 
We don't want these symptoms. Nobody wants these symptoms. So let's consider the the illness as its own entity. Lauren says it's important to remember that a new diagnosis is new to everyone. You're both dealing with the arrival of this set of conditions. The person living with it in their body has their own experience of it, but it's still impacting the relationship. And so as a result, oftentimes people will think, oh, if my friend has illness and it's impacting me because they're canceling a lot and I don't want to make them feel bad, but I'm starting to get discouraged asking them to come to things, that sometimes people won't reveal their own experiences because they don't want to offend the person with a chronic illness. And the truth is I really want my friends to tell me that because it's a totally valid experience if they're feeling discouraged. And there's a way to talk about it and still include the needs of both people. Something else that Lauren has observed in her own life and in the many people and couples that she sees as a therapist is a a cultural tendency we have to blame people for their illnesses or ourselves, even if we aren't explicit about it and even if we don't even realize that we're doing it. These undercurrents, they just exist. And I think rarely do people actually give folks a hard time, but there can be a resentment that builds up. Like, once again, we have to slow down because you know, my friend or my family member is is slow. That's something that there's a way to talk about it so that you can both be annoyed at it together without making it personal about the person who is experiencing it, if that makes sense. One thing that both Sophie and Lauren mentioned is that a lot of people they tell associate MS with the person they're closest to who shares that diagnosis. So if they have a cousin who uses a wheelchair as a result of their MS symptoms, they might take that information of the diagnosis really gravely. And if they have a cousin who's in a mild period and doesn't have too many flare-ups, they might wave it off like it's no big deal. And it's important to remember. They say no two people have the exact same symptoms. Which reminds me of Sophie's coworkers and how they were making assumptions about what she could or couldn't do because of her MS. If you have a friend with an MS diagnosis... Try not to do that. Get to know the person and their particular experience. But back to Sophie, or to anyone else trying to figure out how to communicate your needs surrounding an MS diagnosis or anything else, and adjusting emotionally to your new way of life. I do like to think illness is an invitation into a deeper connection with ourselves and the people around us. So for me, I think in a lot of ways it's saved me time because... I'm saying yes to the stuff that fulfills me now. And I probably would have put it on hold for a while longer if I didn't have this illumination. And I also think living with MS has brought incredible friends into my life and has brought um, a tenderness and an ability to see the strength in people's challenges and vulnerabilities that, in a way that connects us more deeply. Um, and I, if it's okay with you, I have this, I have something that um, a new chronic illness buddy wrote to me like a week after I was diagnosed. I never would have met her without the MS, but she wrote something. It's just a few sentences that I wish everybody could hear. She gave me permission to, <laughs> to share it with the wide world because um, I feel like she just gives such meaning to illness. So this is from Jerry Jacobs. She said, Your life will change in some ways. It's inevitable. But some of those changes will be glorious. It truly is an exquisite journey. You will find depths of strength and power and patience in yourself that you never knew you had. 
and joy and compassion. You're standing at the foot of a bright mountain. The climb will be hard, but the views will take your breath away. That's lovely. That's really lovely. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you to Jerry for letting you share that. Yeah. As soon as I read what she wrote, I was like, I can do this. I can I can do it with this narrative. Yes. Like I, I choose this perspective. I really hope that Sophie and anyone else new to having a chronic illness found something useful here. Look, MS is a scary and serious diagnosis, and it absolutely will change your life. But as Lauren says, some of that change can be good in some profoundly positive ways. And in fact, Sophie actually says something to that effect too. She's already discovered her own sort of strength in her diagnosis. You know, in some ways I'm, I'm sounds weird to say, but I'm glad that this happened because, you know, I couldn't have understood like, you know, my brother has some problems, my grandmother has some problems. I couldn't understand what they were going through before this. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to rate and leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast. It helps new listeners find the show. You can find additional information and episode references in the show notes. Follow Self on Instagram at Self Magazine. And I'm at Carolyn Kilstra. On our audio team, supervising producer is Odelia Rubin. Lead producer is Haley Fager. Executive producer is Shara Morris. Producer is Phoebe Unterman. Associate producers are Andrea Patanzos and Kate Mishkin, and sound engineer is Scott Somerville. On the self team, the editorial lead is Sarah Yalowitz. Digital director is Amy Isinger. Researchers are Amy Martrana Winderall and Colleen de Belfon. The theme music is by Biscuit and Butter, courtesy of Blaze Unlimited LLC. Special thanks to Julie Shen and Neon Hum Media. Thanks for listening. See you next week. <laughs>